0: listeners to episode 125 of journey with a cinephile a horror movie podcast as always i am your tour guide here of david garrett jr recording out of columbus ohio and in this episode here for you i'm finally doing something that i meant to do last year but i just kind of ran out of time as you know things got ramped up during october and november as well as december but I am doing my top nine horror films of 1951. The reason I'm only doing a top nine is that's the amount that I could find. I also believe there were two lost films that I could not find. I'll get into a little bit more of those on the episode when I'm actually, you know, running everything down like that. But I will recap those, ranked from nine to number one for me. And then also on this episode I have many reviews of Uma, Night of the Eagle, Zombie 3, Sleepaway Camp 3, Teenage Wasteland, The Ridge, and Demons 2. Don't think there's anything else I need to get up to speed with here. So, what I will say is thank you so much for listening. Let me get you over to a very brief break before I get into those mini-reviews. And I hope you enjoy coming on this journey with me. Journey with a cinephile. And for my first mini-review of this week is going to be Uma. This is from here in 2022. This was written and directed by Iris K. Shim. And it stars Sandra O feeble stewart and Dermot Mulroney. this is a horror film that is from the united states it is currently sitting on a 5.3 on imdb and a 2.5 on letterbox with the synopsis being amanda and her daughter live a quiet life on an american farm but when the remains of her estranged mother arrive from korea amanda becomes haunted by the fear of turning into her own mother so this is a movie that caught my attention thanks to trailers at the gateway film center now i've been using them for 2022 to see what movies are coming to the center now once i realized this was horror i tend to focus on something else to not spoil the movie this is one that caught the attention of jamie and we saw it together during opening weekend so what i actually will say is that there's not a lot of story to this movie we are seeing more of a character study here And I would actually say we have multiple characters that we're kind of looking at. And what I find interesting, though, is that this is generational. Going along with this idea, is it introducing us to those that don't know this Korean lore with their religion? I would be included with that, and it's something that I appreciated. This also feels like a very personal story as well. So I want to start with our lead of Amanda. From the beginning, we know that she was abused by her mother. We see that she fears a specific lamp. She also has a fear of electricity. I figured this was going to be, you know, played in with the torture her mother did to her. We are seeing that Amanda has developed a psychosis by never coming to terms with it. Later in the movie, Chris confronts Danny about what he knows. He confirms what he knew about her disease and that there were unresolved issues. He tried to get Amanda to talk to someone, but she refused. This is an interesting commentary on mental health and how we're afraid to get help when we need it. It is still looked down upon and a bit of a taboo subject. I'm thinking we might also be getting that people from Asian societies are usually stricter there as well and you know strive for perfection. Now before moving from this, we get an interesting scene later in the movie where Amanda is confronting her mother. Her mother is being portrayed by Miwa Alani Lee. I like that Amanda states that this older woman and what she went through and it almost humanizes our villain. The whole movie, we are just hearing the horrible things that she said, and as we go, we learn what she does as well. I think this is a solid move when dealing with a vengeful spirit like we're getting here. So next thing should be the relationship between Amanda and Chris. Now, this is mother and daughter. Since Amanda had such a rough upbringing, she has hidden her daughter away from learning the ways that she did in Korea. This is an interesting look at assimilation into the United States. Amanda had a bad experience with her Korean roots. Chris then knows nothing of them. She is completely american going along with this though amanda is abusing her in a different way by hiding her away there's a fine line here though i don't want to tell amanda how to parent i can see that by isolating her daughter she is stunting her growth despite what amanda wanted to do she has gone the other extreme to protect her daughter and in turn is acting like her own mother so in the last bit that i want to go into with the story is the supernatural elements like many movies like this There is a way to look at this like nothing is truly happening. I lean towards that there is, but I will go, you know, first with, you know, the supernatural elements. From the moment the suitcase gets dropped off, Amanda believes she is seeing her mother. I think they do well with building the atmosphere. It is creepy and I love that it's playing with things being in the background. The camera is focusing on something, but the frame is being fully utilized. I will give credit here as well to the cinematography. The other way to see this is that Amanda's uncle, when he shows up, has forced her to remember things and she's descended into madness from depression and guilt. Either way you look at it and how you want to explain the movie, I think what we are seeing here, you know, is an interesting type of story. And like I said, I personally think the supernatural things are happening. So where I'll go next would be the acting. I think that O is great as the mother. She plays it so well at one moment she's loving and then the next bit she's overbearing and I mean there's kind of a fine line there as well. She quickly shifts to being more like her mother so having that duality works well. I thought that Stuart was fine. She does well as this awkward daughter at times and I think she does this on purpose as well. She is isolated and lacking life experiences. It adds another layer to the character for sure. I thought that Lee was solid as our villain. Mulroney, Rush, Yee, and the rest of the cast kind of rounded this out for what was needed as well. So last things I'll go into here would be the effects and soundtrack. For the former, we don't get a lot of them. We also don't need a lot either. I'm guessing what they did was CGI. I thought it looked good. There were times where it's out of focus, which does help. Some are done with perspective of the character as well, which creeps me out. What they do here is effective. Once again, credit to the cinematography on top of that. So the soundtrack gets a lot of credit here as well. It builds the atmosphere that is needed. I thought the voiceover that we get to help give backstory is a credit on top of that. So in conclusion here, this movie was solid. It has a good setup that pulled me in. I like the commentary that we're getting here about parenting and the effects it has on children. There is also this fear of becoming your parent. The acting is good. It helps to bring the characters to life, and I like what they do with building the atmosphere. If I do have any issues, I think the movie loses steam as it goes, What they built on in the beginning didn't have the payout that I necessarily wanted in the end. I think part of this, again, is just a personal type story, so it's not going to necessarily go exactly where I want it to. The movie is still one that I enjoyed. To me, I thought this was above average. Just missing out on being good, in my opinion. So my rating here for Uma is going to be a 7.5 out of 10. And then for my second mini-review on this episode is going to be Night of the Eagle. This also went by the title of Burn, Witch, Burn. This is from 1962. This is directed by Sidney Hayers. This is from the story that was written by Fritz Leiber Jr. And the screenplay was co-written amongst Charles Beaumont, Richard Matheson, and George Baxt. This is starring Peter Wingard, Janet Blair, and Margaret Johnston. This is a horror film that is from the United Kingdom. It is currently sitting on a 6.9 on IMDb. Nice. And a 3.5 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being a woman who may be a witch defends her husband from forces attempting to harm him. So this was one that I didn't know about until working my way through the Horror Show Guide and Encyclopedia of Horror Films. Outside of reading the blurb there, I didn't know much about this one. It has one that i've heard a little bit on podcasts here and there but i've now given it a second viewing as part of my trek through the twos so this is an interesting one i love the fact that we begin this with narration to set the stage it's a bit of a gimmick but i can appreciate what they're doing there we jump to norman's class and i like that shift it's an interesting idea that is being explored in movies like this one with curses witchcraft or the likes The only way for it to affect you is to believe and in the beginning norman doesn't and that's what he's actually teaching in his class in that opening type sequence there now going along with that we're following college professors they are people who have education from that opening sequence in the classroom we start getting the idea that all the women believe in witchcraft including norman's wife of tansy it is all the men who are in the dark and are skeptical norman is upset that his wife believes in it he says that she is intelligent and knows it can't be real. This is effective here to sway in the people that we are seeing in the movie. Before moving away from this, I love the idea that the men are wrong and the women are all holding the secret of the truth. The question that becomes is what we are seeing is it happening or not? Are there supernatural things or is it psychosis in believing? norman is beginning you know doesn't believe any of it the more evidence he sees the more it sways him over to the other side i love the idea though if he sticks to his guns does anything in this actually affect him then according to his logic it shouldn't it makes for an interesting exploration of these ideas for sure i'm in the camp that there isn't anything supernatural actually happening it's a suggestion and belief that is driving all the events so i guess in that case it could be real to an extent now i'm not sure if this movie would work if it wasn't for the good acting I like Wingard as our lead here. I think he's good in that role. He is so sure of his beliefs, but as things are happening, we see him falling apart. There is stubble on his face. His love for his wife also makes him waver to protect her. Blair is good as his counterpart, who does believe. They play well off each other, and they descend in their psychosis. I liked Johnston along with Byron as the wives. We see that they have nefarious plans in mind and don't like that outsiders are getting in their way. It is fun to see them coupled with their husbands of Nichols and Gordon who have no idea what their wives are doing. Along with them, I'll give credit to Stott and Mitchell as the students. They're pawns in this, but they believe some parts of the story for Norman and Tansy. So in the last thing to go into here would be the effects cinematography and soundtrack for the former, we don't get a lot of them what is done is practical we do get some great sequences where norman is fleeing in terror and it seems like the stone eagle is coming to life they use a real bird, and i love the cinematography there to make it seem larger than what it is that also helps the movie for sure and how it is shot that is well done in showing the madness of our characters and what they're experiencing i'd also give credit to the soundtrack that helps to build atmosphere as well as the tension so in conclusion here, this is one that I liked the first time and I'm glad that I've now revisited. We are getting an interesting story here from the beginning. It is pushing the idea that witchcraft is real, almost to the point where it's a gimmick with the opening narration and the message in the end. It then becomes a film of Norman trying to prove it's all in Tansy's head. He isn't so sure as things go along though. I thought the acting was solid. We get some interesting things with the cinematography that helps with the effects. Soundtrack is used with building atmosphere and tension. Have you now seen this a second time? I think this is a good movie. I'm not sure I'd ever go higher than what I'm giving it here, but I like what it's doing for sure. So my rating here for Night of the Eagle is going to be an 8 out of 10. And then my next mini review for you is going to be Zombie 3. This is from 1988. This, a little bit complicated here, is that, and I'll actually get into this a little bit more later, but this was directed by Lucio Fulci. And then there's also some uncredited work from Claudio Fragazzo and Bruno Mattei. The story was written by Fergaso, who also did the screenplay, but it also looks like his I believe it's his wife, Rosala Drudi, also helped with the screenplay and story, and Fulci did some working on the screenplay as well. This stars Duran Serafin, Beatrice Ring, and Ottaviano Del Aqua. This is an action horror sci-fi film that is a co-production between Italy and the Philippines this is currently sitting on a 4.9 on imdb and a 2.8 on Letterboxd, with a synopsis being when a terrorist body infected with a stolen chemical is cremated by the united states military a virus is unintentionally released into the atmosphere over a small island so this is a movie that i'd only seen once before my father picked this up on dvd because of how much we enjoyed zombie or you know zombie flesh eaters whichever title you prefer this is a sequel of sorts to that movie at the time of seeing this one, I didn't know a lot about Fulci, but I did know he had directed most of this and did some uncredited screenplay work, as I said. Now, I also didn't really know much about Fragazzo, Mattei, or Drudi. It is interesting now to revisit this having more knowledge of Italian cinema and horror in general as well. So, this doesn't have the deepest story. It feels like they're borrowing heavy from some of the bigger zombie movies from the United States, but I'll come back to that. I don't see the story as a bad thing, to be honest. We get some plot holes, but overall it's a simple story that gets us where we need to and what we want to see. There are people being infected and the survivors dealing with zombies. It takes a bit to get to the point where there are a lot of zombies, but we get enough on that journey there. So that'll bring me up what I meant in my opening paragraph, and I'll start with Fulci, who is one of the greatest Italian horror directors of all time. He's not my favorite, but he's top three for me with Dario Argento and Mario Bava. From my understanding, he got sick during the making of this movie, so Matei and Fergazzo stepped in. I'm not shocked to see these guys as part of the crew, especially with everything that was borrowed to make this story. This isn't a bad movie, or as bad as some of the ones they've done, but so I can be forgiving there. This one is fun while still playing it straight, and let me get to some of the references I keep referring to. The first one is a premise is that most action movies from the 1980's have. We have terrorists trying to steal this virus, and in turn it gets released. This is standard for the era. And i'd say we're getting a little bit of dawn of the dead with following the group that is trained to survive here this is the loosest of elements i found this with the soldiers plus there's a helicopter now this could also be day of the dead though as well now what it feels like it's borrowing here though is a scientists fighting with the military the latter wants to use force to solve this while the scientists keep pointing out that an antidote or a vaccine can be produced and that would actually save people What is more likely though is this movie is ripping off elements from the crazies. We get the similar butting of heads there. This is taking our soldiers being in hazmat suits as well. Now the virus is also mutating which I could see from there on top of that with you know Trixie. Then my last one I would say is Return to the Living Dead. These zombies can move fast at times. Some can talk and how the virus spreads from the body being burned seems to come from that as well. I'm not going to come down too harsh on this movie It feels like they saw what worked and did enough of their own thing to make this one here and it also kind of feels like that Italian thing of taking a bunch of different stuff and you know putting it in a blender and making a movie like we get. So that should be enough for the story so I'll go over to the acting and to be honest it wasn't very good. I had trouble telling the characters apart. That isn't all the fault of the movie though. They don't do well in making them distinct. I also don't think they cared to. They're all just kind of generic characters that we are just seeing them get torn apart by zombies showing terror and fear when they're attacked was solid enough. Most of the actors portraying zombies were fine. My only issue there is inconsistency. I've come to terms with movies of subgenres setting up their own lore. My issue here is that they might be slow moving at sometimes, and then the next some can talk and do martial arts. This is Italian, and movies from this country tend to cling to the nightmare logic, so I get it. Now where I'll go next to them would be the effects, cinematography, and the soundtrack. For the former, they were probably the bright spot. These zombies look gooey. I think that they're doing well in making them look like the ones from Nightmare City. They go vicious with things like tearing off people's faces. We are getting practical effects here. There were times where I could tell something was fake, but there's a bit of charm there for me. Going back to the absurd things that we see, we get a flying zombie head for some reason and a baby coming out of a woman's stomach to attack a character. I'm assuming the latter was taken from Alien, but I'd also say that the Dawn of the Dead remake stole it from here. Other than that, the cinematography was fine. My dvd copy is a bit grainy but there is a bit of charm for that as well the soundtrack was also fine doesn't necessarily stand out but it never took me out of the movie either so in conclusion this movie is hard to grade with a critical eye this has some low budget feel and we're getting a basic story that feels like it's borrowing elements from other movies it doesn't feel as a blatant ripoff as some you'll see from this country though we're getting a simple story and focusing more on the characters trying to survive hordes of zombies The rules I set up for the monsters are a bit fluid. The acting is mediocre, but I also think that the writing isn't helping there either. The bright spot here would be the effects being good, the cinematography is fine, and the soundtrack works. Despite my issue, I still enjoyed this movie for the most part. I think this is just over average. I'd only recommend this to fans of zombie movies from this country, though. So my rating here for Zombie 3 is going to be a 6 out of 10. And then up next for you, I have Sleepaway Camp 3, Teenage Wasteland. This is from 1989. This was directed by Michael A. Simpson, and then this was written by Fritz Gordon, and this is based on the original idea and characters from Robert Hiltzik. This stars Pamela Springsteen, Tracy Griffith, and Michael J. Pollard. This is a comedy horror film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 5.0 on IMDb and a 2.5 on Letterboxd. With the snaps being, after murdering a young girl, Angela Baker assumes her identity and travels to Camp New Horizons, built on the grounds of the camp she terrorized the year before, and starts killing again. So this was a movie that I didn't know existed until getting Into Horror Movie podcasts. It was one that went on a list of movies to check out, but it wasn't the highest priority due to most people not necessarily liking these late sequels in the franchise. So this one has a pretty basic story. I do like the elements that we have here though. What I mean is that we are acknowledging the first two movies happened. Angela has a high body count as a killer. This movie, much like the one previous, isn't hiding who our killer is. In the framework of the story, this is being set in the 1980s, and I believe that Angela could get into this camp and start doing what she's doing here. Now, going from there, I like what they're doing with opening this camp up. We have these two shady people in Herman and Lily. They want to make money. Seeing things that happen in today's world, I can buy that. Herman is a pedophile and Lily is lazy. On top of that, she cuts corners to increase their profit margin. They even found a niche for their camp. We have these rich kids that have parents who want to pawn their children off. The camp is getting paid to take them. Plus, Bobby points out that this looks good on his resume. So I'm assuming that these rich kids, this is kind of what they're going for. Then there are the less fortunate and I think the government is paying for them to be there. This is plausible for me especially since with the reputation they can't get normal kids just to have their parents get them sent out there. So that's about the extent of my positives for the story though. What I do have problems with is the tone of the movie and its status as a slasher. This is coming out in the late boom so it's one that's more comedic and I don't necessarily care for that. They want Angela to be iconic like Freddy Krueger. She does have some one liners that made me chuckle but for the most part it falls short. This movie isn't as creative with the kills which is a shame. What made me enjoy the previous one was that creativity. We are in the era where censors were hitting movies a bit harder so that could explain it and I did look up some trivia and that was exactly what happened here. Most of the deaths are done off screen and they're not as creative though. When I watch a slasher I want to see them along with the blood and gore and this does hurt my rating for sure. Where I'll go next then will be the acting. I must give credit to Springsteen as I think she's having fun here as Angela. She has taken this character and made it her own for sure. She's also quite attractive, which helps. I like her motives that she strives to be the best camper, and those that don't follow the ideals are murdered. The problem from there is that the acting, none of the characters are really developed. When I saw the number of people going to camp, I knew this was for body count. Part of the issue is they have them splitting up, so we're given limited time to know the other people. Now we have Tracy Griffith as Marcia or Marcy, something like that. I did find it interesting is that this young lady was the younger sister of Melanie Griffith. Then we also have Mark Oliver as Tony, and then we have the cop Barney, or the most developed of the campers, and they're all fine. Outside of that, Pollard and Dorsey are given some development. Springsteen is our star here, and we are here to see the kills. That goes back to my problem, though. What I will say is that we do see quite a few of our ladies topless, if you are interested there. So the last things I'll go into would be the cinematography and soundtrack. I've already said my gripes about the lack of effects. There are some good ones here and there, so I will give credit to that. The cinematography is fine. We're mostly in the woods, which is good for a movie that is supposed to be at camp. It doesn't stand out, though. I do have to say that. The same goes for the soundtrack. We do get a song about Teenage Wasteland, the subtitle of the movie, that does hit a sweet spot for me. Now, there's also a Sleepaway Camp song at the end during the credits. Other than that, the soundtrack just kind of worked for what was needed without standing out. So in conclusion here, this movie had some potential. I like the setup that we're getting here. It doesn't take too long to get into this one, and we have a low runtime. This should be a recipe for a good slasher movie. My problem is that the kills are done mostly off screen. The acting is bland aside from Springsteen. The cinematography is fine along with the soundtrack for the movie. It does make me wonder if a budget or worrying about the censors as to why this movie is as tame as it is. As it stands, I found this just to be average. There is potential here, but it is unrealized though, unfortunately. So my rating here for Sleepaway Camp 3, Teenage Wasteland is going to be a 5 out of 10. And then up next for a mini review for you, I have The Ridge. This is from 2005. This was co-written as well as directed by Brett Haley. And it looks like Eric Schertz came up with the story. Then it stars Neil Bletso, Haley, and Lydia Hoslop. This is a horror thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 3.9 on IMDb and around a 2 stars on Letterboxd, but there's not enough ratings for an official average. And our synopsis is a group of friends gather at a secluded vacation home despite the legend of the Ridge Runner, a killer who struck in the area years before. So this is a movie that I didn't know anything about, but it was part of a compilation of eight movies that I won from a podcast contest. It had been sitting on my shelf for a few years, so I decided to work my way through it. This is the second movie that I'm watching from it. Other than that, I did confirm this one was actually a horror film where the first one I watched necessarily wasn't. So this is got a basic story and a simple, you know, premise. This is a mid-2000s slasher film that feels like it's taking most of its formula from movies of the same subgenre from the 1980s. We meet our group of kids and they go to an isolated location where they're attacked by a mass assailant. This movie, though, falls short on quite a few things, unfortunately, from there. So this does jump right in, which I can appreciate. We don't waste time getting to know our characters. What this movie should have done, though, is started off with a kill. That would hook us as the audience and set the tone. That is a lot of what slashers in the heyday would do and is effective. Aside, we also meet our characters. This necessarily isn't a bad way to do it. I don't like any of our characters, though. Noah is whiny in a no-one-likes-me way. Blake and Anna are constantly making out and it isn't necessary, and it doesn't add anything. It does feel like Haley was dating Powell, or maybe just because he's the writer, director, and co-star, he's just, you know, taking advantage there. As Anna is quite attractive, but she's also underdeveloped because of this. The only ones who have charm are Ethan and Kara. They don't go far enough, though. The acting isn't great, but I don't think the writing helps here either. This leads to the movie being boring. The reason I think we should have started with a kill is because the idea of this mountain man known as the Ridge Runner is an interesting one. The backstory is told about him is the best part. We have this wild guy who's living off the land and he's upset that people have moved into this area. What I do like is parts of the story that are used in his kills. He is wearing a parka which I can forgive as it's not great but you know it is what it is. He does use a hatchet mostly. That works for me. My problem though is how basic the story is presented. We needed a big reveal or twist and we don't get that. Instead so we get this basic idea that we've seen before that also contributes to it being boring. Now where I'm going to go last would be the effects, cinematography, and soundtrack. For the former, they're fine. The movie had a limited budget, and they probably couldn't make the effects look good, so the kills are off screen. I can appreciate since this came out in the CGI era. The problem, though, is that if you don't have a good story, we need to see the kills. Outside of that, the cinematography is fine. It doesn't do anything that is out of the norm. The soundtrack also doesn't stand out. It doesn't hurt the movie, and it did sound like a few times they used a microphone attached to the camera. The sound quality was below average at these different times, which is why I think that is why it was done. This hurts it for me, unfortunately. So, in conclusion, I do want to say that I don't like to beat up independent cinema. I give credit that they got together and made a movie. There are elements here that have probably could have been better if they would have used them properly. I like the concept of our killer. I think that if it followed more of the classic slasher formula, this would have been better. With how it is, the acting is subpar. The writing doesn't help there. Most of the characters are unlikable. It doesn't do well in hooking your attention the kills are done off screen and i'm assuming mostly due to the effects the cinematography and soundtrack are fine outside of some audio issues i noticed with that said this movie is below average for me it is the same because i feel like there is potential here i would be willing to see this team if they did anything after this to see if they fixed some of their issues that they had here with this movie so my rating for the ridge is a 3.5 out of 10. and then up next for you i have demons 2 this goes by the original title of Demone 2, Incubuno Rotona. This was directed by Lamberto Bava, and then this was co written amongst Dario Argento, Bava, Franco Farini, and Dardano Sarchetti. This stars David Edwin Knight, Nancy Brilli, and Corolina Catalati Tassoni. This is a horror film from Italy that is currently sitting on a 5.9 on IMDb and a 3.1 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being a group of tenants and visitors are trapped in a 10-story high-rise apartment building infested with demons who proceed to hunt the dwindling humans down. So this is one that I originally saw growing up. My father had gotten this one and the original on VHS. My sister and I would watch these regularly and I wasn't as much a fan of this one though. I could tell even back then that it was a step back from that first one. I had watched this one once with a critical eye as an adult, and the reason that I'm going in for a rewatch was checking out the new 4K. So, I like what we do with introducing us to our characters. Much like the original, I'm assuming most horror fans have seen this. What is interesting is that growing up, this and the original one terrified me. It still gets my anxiety going and my heart racing. Thinking about this critically, what makes this scary is that our characters are trapped in this apartment building with this menace. I don't know if I fully buy it, but it, it makes more sense there than the original. We are also expanding on the mythology with blood being like acid and affecting those that touch it. I do like this idea as it allows the infection curse to spread, you know, faster. With how this infection starts, it doesn't make most sense. For some reason, a demon from the movie comes out and attacks Sally. What I will say, though, is this movie does somewhat have an explanation late in the movie. It does correlate with something in the original one as well. There's an abandoned and almost automated television studio where the first one had just the empty projection room. This movie comes full circle with its final scenes to the first infection and I can dig at least that. Part of what we're getting here is an Italian nightmare logic and you just have to roll with it. Now where I'll go next would be the effects. The demon makeup is great. They look gross and horrifying. Going along with them expanding more of the mythology there is a dog that becomes a demon which is something new that this film explores. We also get a child changing into one as well. The worst effect of the movie comes from there as it looks like a puppet. I can commend them for going practical. I would almost give credit here to the effects of when people are being attacked. That is something else that is well done. I did want to give special credit here to Catalandi Tassoni, as she is the best demon in the movie by far. Then I'll ship this over to the acting, which I'll be honest, it isn't great, but it doesn't need to be. This is a creature feature. We want to see the monsters and them attacking people. Going along with this thought process, that is solid. I thought that Knight was good as our hero. I like the idea that really is pregnant, as that adds a dimension of, like, fear. I do think she gets scratched, but the movie ignores it. Now, I did end up finding out, though, that there was going to be a point where this child was probably going to attack the mother, and I think they should have went that way, but since they didn't, they wanted a happier ending, I don't think it ruins things. I've said that I liked Catalandi Tassoni as our, you know, featured demon. I thought she was great there. Her normal is annoying, but I think she fits the role she's playing. I like to see bobby rhodes back along with lino somali who plays a security guard it is fun to see a young azia argento other than that the rest of the cast is solid and we get an interesting cross-section of people who live in this building as well so the last thing to go into would be the cinematography and soundtrack for the former i think it's shot well they do great things with lighting and making the eyes of the demon look like they're glowing that was eerie going along with that they do this looking up and down the stairwell and that was used well and that's also scary. The soundtrack isn't as iconic, but I do love the theme song. It adds a layer of creepiness that I can appreciate, and the rest of it works for what was needed. The growling and rolling of the demons add to the atmosphere as well. So with that said, I would recommend this one. This plays much like the earlier one as an infection film that would lead to things like Wreck and 28 Days Later. This one's not as good as its predecessor, but still solid. The acting is okay, but the action is what you're here for, and that's good. The setting helps to make this movie and builds on the tension as well as the horror and atmosphere. It does come with its issues, but not enough to ruin this movie for me. I will reiterate this is from Italy, so keep that in mind as the actors are dubbed over and the words don't necessarily line up. If you can get past that, this is a creepy one and well worth a viewing, especially if you like the first one. It isn't as good, but a worthy follow-up. So my rating here for Demons 2 is going to be a 7.5 out of 10. And that's all I have for mini-reviews for you on this week, so let me go ahead and get you over to a very brief break before I get into the main event of this episode. So just kind of give you an idea here of our main event. This is going to be me recapping everything that I watched from 1951. Now, if you've listened to me in the past, then you have an idea of what I'm doing here, but for those that might be jumping in as this our first episode, let me just kind of give you a brief idea of what I'm going to do here. I found a list mostly through Letterboxd of horror movies from 1951. There were two that I could not find anywhere, and I'm going to start with them, so I'm considering these my lost films from 1951, but the first one is a movie by the title of In the Palm of Your Hand. This goes by the original title of In La Palma de Tumano. This was directed by Roberto Galvadan. This comes from the story by Luis Spata, and then the adaptation and dialogue was Jose Revlutas and Galvadan as well this stars arturo de cordova leticia palma and ramon gay this is a crime drama thriller mystery horror film that is from mexico this is currently sitting on a 7.5 on imdb with 262 ratings and then it looks about a 3.8 on letterbox and the synopsis is a fortune teller blackmails a beautiful widow whose husband has recently died now there does seem to be quite a bit of people who have been able to watch this my problem is that i found copies of this movie but everything that i found was in spanish and there were no english subtitles or at least that's what it looked like so i will say if you've been able to find this movie with english subtitles or an english dub let me know because i definitely will watch this and this will actually give me my 10th movie because i could only find nine that i could watch for this year but it does sound interesting. It's just one of those things, there's a language barrier, and I didn't want to watch something that I couldn't fully you know, grasp or kind of relay information from and everything like that, especially because this one has such a high rating on IMDb that it would be one that I would definitely like to see. So that is going to be one of the two movies that I could not find for this list here, with the other one being Satyr. This was directed by Lamberto V. Anelia. And then the writers are Francisco C. V. Kuchin and Fred Deleuze. This stars Manuel Condon, Jaime de la Rosa, and Delia Rezon. This is a fantasy horror film that is from the Philippines. It is currently sitting on a 7.7 with 9 ratings. And then it looks like on Letterboxd it's hovering between like a 2 star as it looks like there's only been three people that are rating it on there and then the brief synopsis that i'm going to give is christina a pretty young neighborhood girl is pursued by the mysterious sator a wealthy but mysterious young man so this is another one that does sound interesting i couldn't find this anywhere and seeing how few ratings there are i'm just assuming that these are people from the philippines who might have seen this back in the day or something along those lines But this is one that I could not find really anything about it outside of just the information that I've relayed. Another one that sounds interesting, and if I could watch it, I definitely would. Especially because being from a foreign country back, I mean, at this point, 60 years ago, would be definitely an interesting one to check out as well. And then, let me start with number 9. Which is Bride of the Gorilla. This is... Written and directed by Kurt Sodomak. This stars Barbara Payton, Lon Chaney Jr., and Raymond Burr. This is a horror film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 4.4 on IMDb and a 2.2 on Letterboxd. With the synopsis being the owner of a plantation in the jungle marries a beautiful woman. Shortly afterward, he is plagued by strange voodoo curse, which turns him into a gorilla. So this movie here is originally a featured review back on episode number 96 which was odyssey through the ones number 22 this was paired up with jacob's wife as a kind of bride double feature that i was doing over there but this movie has an interesting idea we have this older woman who is upset and using voodoo to punish this man this works with having taro who grew up in the area and portrayed by lon chaney jr But he was educated outside to help the audience understand more about the kind of lore and mysticism in the area. I thought the lore worked. It's a bit confusing where the movie takes it. I know this is an issue of semantics, but calling this a creature a gorilla annoys me. The story is lacking a bit though. The acting is fine and it feels like the writing doesn't help. Aside from that, the effects, cinematography, and the soundtrack also work. For that, this movie is just over average, but I can't go much higher than that. So my rating here for Bride of the Gorilla is going to be a 5.5 out of 10. And making this my number 9 film on this list as well as, I mean, unfortunately, Dead Last. Then for my number 8 film is going to be The Strange Case of the Man and the Beast. This goes by the original title of El Extranino Caso del Hombre y la Bestia. This is from 1951. It is directed by Mario Sofici. The writers are Carlos Marin, Ulysses Petit de Morat, as well as Sofici. And this is obviously being based off of the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson. This stars Martha Otachi, Ana Maria Campone, and Jose Cabria. This is a horror sci-fi film that is from Argentina. This is currently sitting on a 6.6 on IMDB, and there's not a lot of ratings on Letterboxd, but it's hovering between like a 3 and a a 3.5 star movie, with the synopsis being Dr. Henry Jekyll experiments with scientific means of revealing the hidden dark side of man and releases a murderer from within himself. So this was a featured review back on episode 101, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 26, as... I actually paired this up as, I believe, a South American double feature with The Last Matinee. So this is an interesting take on Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, as I was saying, from Argentina. It's a familiar story, but I'm glad they incorporated more of their beliefs into it. What doesn't work is that Dr. Jekyll seems to be a bit more in control of Mr. Hyde when he's in the monster form, which doesn't necessarily make sense. Thought the acting in this one was solid, being that the characters and where they're kind of pushing Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and where he has to end up. I was impressed with the transformation scene we got in this one and the look of Mr. Hyde. Aside from that, I thought the soundtrack in this one fit for what was needed. Doesn't necessarily stand out, though. This is, unfortunately, just over average for me, and, you know, it's lacking for me to go higher, and... I did enjoy this one, so that's saying a lot about this list here that I got to watch from the year, as my rating for The Strange Case of The Man and the Beast is a 6 out of 10. And then coming in at my number 7 position is going to be The Medium. This was a featured review back in episode number 97, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 23. I actually had this paired up with The visual on that episode there. Now just to give you a little bit of information here, we have... This being directed as well as written by Giancarlo Menotti. This stars Marie Powers, Leo Coleman, and Leopoldo Savona. This is a drama music horror film that is from a co-production of Italy and the United States. This is sitting on a 6.3 on IMDb as well as a 3.1 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being... Madame Flora is terrified when she perceives a supernatural presence during one of her fraudulent seances. We are getting an adaptation of an opera or a play here, and that's how this is filmed. The story is something that we've seen after this one, so it kind of makes me wonder if other movies are borrowing from this with like the fraudulent seances and stuff. I'm not sure if, you know, historically, you know, where this kind of falls in those type of movies. I like the idea though, being that this is a musical. They sing all of their lines, so it does make it hard to understand at times. But I have to give credit that they're talented. The acting here is solid. I'd say the rest of the aspects are just kind of fine. For me, this movie is just over average. It is lacking some of those things for me to go higher than that, though. Now, I did kind of debate as... This movie is sharing the same rating as the previous one. I know, like, part of my issue is that it was hard to understand the dialogue for both of these. The copy that I had of The Strange Case of the Man and the Beast, there was a long stretch where there were no subtitles. This one, I could at least make out the words they're saying because this is in English, but being that it's sung is just a little bit different there. This one is lacking a little bit more of the horror element, so I will say that. Regardless, though, as I was saying, the medium, I have it coming in at, once again at a 6 out of 10. And that is my number 7 position on this list. And then the last movie for this little section here is going to be the number 6 position. As that is going to be Abbott and Casello meet the Invisible Man. This was a mini review back on episode number 66. Which was Black Appreciation number 3. Which featured the sweet blood of Jesus and Synchronic. Now this is one that I actually had watched previous to it. So that's why it was just a mini review. So if you want to get a little bit more information, I would recommend going back there. So this movie was directed by Charles Lamont. The story is from Hugh Wedlock Jr. and Howard Snyder. The screenplay was written by Robert Lees. This stars Bud Abbott, Lou Costello, and Nancy Guild. This is a comedy, family, sci-fi, sport horror movie that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.7 on IMDB and a 3.2 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being two bumbling private eyes help a man wrongfully accused of murder who has become invisible to clear his name. So this isn't my favorite of the Abbott and Costello films that I've seen, but it doesn't mean it's bad. I think the acting is good across the board, especially the you know camaraderie and the back and forth between Abbott and Costello. The effects outside of a couple things are solid. Not all the comedy works for me, and it's really just of the slapstick nature. Aside from that, the soundtrack fit for what they needed. Overall, I'd say this is just over average. I've come up since my last viewing, but I'm not sure I'll ever go much higher. If you like Abbott and Casella, I think you'll enjoy this one. So for me, this movie I have, once again, coming in a 6 out of 10. And what I'm going to go ahead and do is get you over to a very brief break before I get into the top 5 films that I have from 1951. <music> and i would like to welcome you back and then to kick off my top five horror films from 1951 the first one on this is going to be the strange door this was a mini review back on episode number 95 which was actually the top horror films of 1941 and this is actually an interesting one because it is one that i watched at some point i didn't even remember that i had owned it and i was getting ready to buy another copy and figured out that actually i did so the strange door is directed by joseph Penby. The writers of the screenplay is Jerry Sackheim, and this comes from another Robert Louis Stevenson story of The Sire D. Meltroyd's Door. This stars Charles Lawton, Boris Karloff, and Sally Forrest. This is a horror thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.2 on IMDb and a 3.1 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being the Wicked Alan plots an elaborate revenge against his younger brother Edmund, leading to a deadly confrontation in his dungeon death trap. So, this one, I didn't even realize this at first, but I wasn't as high that first viewing, but I can appreciate it more after the second one. I thought it's an interesting concept and a weird way of getting revenge. There's a good reveal, and we get some solid acting. The film didn't need much in the way of effects, and the score doesn't necessarily stand out, but I can say that this is shot very well. I think if you're into more romance-based horror films, you will enjoy this one. I think this is a slightly above-average film, though, just kind of lacking for me to go much higher than that. So my rating here for The Strange Door is going up for my ratings here, as this is going to be a 6.5 out of 10. And then coming in at my number 4 position is Death is a Number. This was originally a featured review on episode number 99, which was odyssey through the ones number 25 where i had this paired up with a classic horror story don't really have a great kind of theme for that one but that's just kind of how everything kind of fell into place there i did end up joining both of these movies if you couldn't tell but death is a number is directed by robert henryson comes from the original story by charles shaw it stars terex alexander dennis webb and leslie osmond this is a horror film that is from the united kingdom it is currently sitting on a 5.1 on imdb and a there's not a whole lot of ratings on this one actually but i would say around like a two star three star type movie and the synopsis is a man relates the story of his friend racing driver john bridge north whose death may have been the final act of an ancient family curse so this is kind of an interesting movie here, is I had never heard of this one until I was looking through Letterboxd for horror films from 1951, of course. And this is an interesting concept blending numerology and curses. I like that the story is being told from Alan to his wife, and we get to see it play out. The acting, I think, brings the characters to life. There are limited effects, but we what we get is good. The cinematography and soundtrack work. We have a crisp runtime here about 50 minutes so this technically isn't even feature length i guess i think this is an above average movie it's just lacking going a bit higher and i think if they would have fleshed some things out a little bit more it could have gotten there and i don't necessarily mean that as a slight though either i would recommend this one for sure i have this one is going up in rating once again as death is a number i have at a seven out of ten and this is coming in at my number four position on this list and then coming in at number three on this list, I have The Man from Planet X. This is a originally a featured review on episode number 94, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 21, where I actually had this paired up with Don't Breathe 2, as I guess in my head I was, since, you know, in Don't Breathe we have The Blind Man and then we have The Man from Planet X. I thought it was kind of like The Man double feature. Yeah, not very good. Um, but this movie is directed by Edgar G. Ulmer. It was co-written amongst Aubrey Wisberg and Jack Polluxfin. This stars Robert Clark, Margaret Field, and Raymond Bond. This is a horror romance sci-fi thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 5.7 on IMDb and a 2.9 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being as a mysterious planet hurls itself towards Earth an igmatic extraterrestrial scout arrives on a remote Scottish island with unknown intentions. So this was a movie that I thought was a solid sci-fi horror flick from the 1950s, of course. I like the concept of this rogue planet coming toward Earth and the worst case scenario implications there. We get some interesting characters where the acting helps bring them to life. The effects are fine aside from the look of the alien. I don't think that ruins anything as there's a bit of charm there. Especially since they're working with what they had. I thought the sound design was good with the rest of the soundtrack fitting for what was needed. The allegory here isn't as heavy handed and I can appreciate that being done that way. But this is once again an above average movie for me. It's fast and an enjoyable watch. And this movie I actually have tied rating wise with the previous one. I had to give this one a nod because it's a little bit more classic as I feel like I heard about this one before I ever watched it. But this was a first time watch this time around. So my rating here for the man from Planet X is going to be a 7 out of 10 and coming in at number 3 on this list. And coming up in the runner up position as number 2 on this list is going to be the son of Dr. Jekyll kind of interesting that robert Louis stevenson seems to kind of have his hand into this list more than anybody else but this movie here was originally a featured review on episode number 98 which was obviously through the ones number 24 as i had the son of dr jekyll paired up with demonic which this was kind of more like a sci-fi double feature type thing a little mad scientist stuff mixed in there as well this movie is directed by seymour friedman The story is written by Mortimer Brass and Jack Polluxfin, which he's making an appearance here back to back. And then uncredited, there's also Edward Hubush. This stars Lewis Hayward, Jody Lawrence, and Alexander Knox. This is a crime horror romance sci-fi thriller that is from the United States it is currently sitting on a 4.9 on imdb and a 2.7 on letterboxd with the synopsis being the son of the notorious dr henry jekyll is determined to prove that his father's reputation has been unjustly deserved he sets out to develop his father's formula in order to prove that he has a brilliant scientist rather than a murderous monster So I enjoyed this movie more than I thought I would. I think we get an interesting idea here to continue on from the story in the original classic. It brings a lot of aspects while doing its own to the point where you don't need to see the original since you probably already know enough about the tale. The acting is solid here where Hayward and Knox carry this with the rest of the cast rounding them out and directing them to where they need to go. The cinematography is fine. The effects we get are solid and the soundtrack fits for what they needed. I thought this was another above average movie. And I'm coming in higher than most as, I mean I said the ratings that other people gave to it, as this just clicked for me with some of the things they do. Now there is a kind of reveal that I don't necessarily like and it feels a little bit cheesy, but I like what they do here to take the original story, do a little bit different things with it and everything like that. So my rating for The Son of Dr. Jekyll, I'm actually coming up from the ratings that I've been recently just giving as this movie to me was a 7.5 out of 10, you know, falling just outside of that good category. And that is why I have this as my runner-up film here on this list. And then for what everybody who has been listening has been waiting for, my number one movie that is on this list here for 1951. That, if you kind of know what came out this year, you might have already guessed what it is. But my top movie is The Thing from Another World. This is the original one that John Carpenter does his remake on top of. So, this movie here was a first-time watch. It was also a featured review back on episode number 93, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 20, as I actually paired this up with Fried Berry, as this is, you know, kind of like an alien double feature type thing here. So, to kind of give a little bit of the stats here for this movie is that we have this directed by Christian Nyby and some uncredited work there by Howard Hawks. The screenplay is written by Charles letterer this is based on the story of who goes there by john w campbell jr uncredited writing help was also done by hawks this stars kenneth Toby, margaret sheridan and james arness this is a horror sci-fi film that is from the united states it is currently sitting on a 7.1 on imdb and a 3.4 on Letterboxd with the snobs being scientists and american air force officials fend off a bloodthirsty alien organism while at a remote arctic outpost so this movie holds up in my opinion even today we have an interesting story that doesn't go too heavy-handed and is still relevant with some aspects the social commentary can alter to make how these things work and make sense even for things that we deal with even now The acting is good across the board. I like the look of the thing and the rest of the effects are solid as well. The cinematography helps and I don't have any glaring issues with this movie. For me this is a good one and I would probably say from everything that I know is that this is kind of a classic here and it's definitely one that I do want to give a rewatch to at some point. I wouldn't be shocked if my rating came up on this so that's where I'm kind of sitting is you know one view is this and I mean kind of some of the things I've already said it makes sense how John Carpenter had this was primed for doing a remake like we got in the 80s and everything like that so for me i think that the thing from another world is the best movie that i saw from 1951 my rating has come up for this one here the highest rating for this year though is not overly high but i have this movie coming in at an 8 out of 10 now what i will say is before i close this out is what are your favorite movies from this year have you seen all of these ones are there any that you haven't if you want to send me any sort of feedback or what your list would be or any of your thoughts for any of these things Please let me know you could send that to me and I will give my email address in the outro but definitely would recommend doing that but I'm going to go ahead and rest my voice one last time get you over to another very brief break before I close out the show. Join I would like to welcome you back and then just to close everything out here if you'd like to send me an email with any sort of feedback or anything that you'd like to have right on the show You can send me that email at journeywithacinephile at gmail.com. If there's anything that you send me you don't want right on the show, just let me know in that email. If you'd like to read any of the reviews from anything on this episode or any of the past episodes, that's horrorreview.webnode.com. If you'd like to become friends with me on Facebook, I'm David Mishkin Garrett Jr. On Twitter, I'm Buckeye from Mish. Letterboxd, I'm David OSU. And over there, I'll be posting all of the reviews of anything that I'm watching that is horror or non-horror alike. If you'd like to follow my Instagram page, that's davidosu87. If you'd like to follow the Journey with a Cinephile Instagram, that's Journey with journeywithacinephile, all one word. What I will be posting over there is on both of them the movie posters of anything that I am reviewing, and if you follow my personal one, every now and then you might see some personal pictures if I ever post any because I tend to forget while I'm out and about. And just to make it easier on you, I'll have all of those links in the show notes, and then the last thing I'd ask you to do is that whatever podcatching device you're listening to me on, if you go ahead and hit subscribe so you never miss a new episode, that would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you're able to rate and review just so I can figure out what I'm doing that you like and what I'm doing that you don't like, as well as to get out to more listeners out there as well. And for my next episode, I'm going to be doing my... First official Trek Through the Twos episode as I'm going to finally be watching Freaks. This is from 1932. It's been one that's been a blind spot for me, so I'm excited to tick that one off the box. And then I also am going to be going to the Gateway Film Center to be watching You Are Not My Mother. I've heard some good things. I know Duncan McLeish over on the podcast Under the Stairs, as well as some of the fellas from scott and liam versus evil had seen that one they liked it so i'm pretty excited to check that one out and I'll also do a bunch of you know mini reviews as i can you know time permitting and everything like that don't think there's anything else i need to get you up to speed with here so i will say then in closing thank you so much for listening i hope that whatever you do today you're safe in doing it and have a great time out there this is your tour guide of david garrett jr and i am signing off it had been a wonderful evening and what i needed now to give it the perfect ending.